Hello, wonderful humans. Welcome back to the TFC Audio Project. Apologies for the hiatus last week. Uh, we had lots going on, but now that things have settled down, I plan to focus some serious energy into podcasts, and so we should have weekly episodes or even more uh, for the coming months. This was the first episode recorded with Zoom, so I'm hoping the audio turns out well. It seems to be pretty good when I listen to it, and if it does, uh, it's going to open up a lot more possibilities for some awesome conversations with people around the world. So excited um, and hope it turns out well. On this episode of Shop Talk, Mike and I discuss the current situation. Uh, we talk about our personal experience, about things that you can do to manage anxiety, about focusing on health, and we try to talk about some of the powerful lessons in a positive way that can be learned so that we can create a more resilient and anti-fragile self and society when we get to the other side of this. I uh, really enjoyed the chat with Mike, and I hope you find it valuable. This episode of the show is sponsored by TFC App. With a global tribe of over 100 foot nerds, we set out to create a platform that allows the tribe to share our collective learning journey and inspire others to live a more natural lifestyle. The app is free, will always be free, uh, and it includes content like video, uh, videos, podcasts, books, and recipes that have all been curated by the tribe. The mission with TFC app was to simplify health and deliver clarity through the noise of the internet. If you head to the footcollective.app, uh, you can use either web version or the iOS version. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by the Roasters Pack. Our team at TFC head office are big fans of coffee before 11 a.m. And this cool Canadian company provides a, a subscription service that gets you three great coffees to your door each month and gives you the story behind each of the beans that, that come, all the craft roasters that they come from. Check out theroasterspack.com, use the code FOOT at checkout, and you'll get a discount off your first month of any subscription. Last but not least, this episode is sponsored by our travel partner, Nanook Protective Hard Cases, which we use to transport gear to and from seminars and workshops. They make super high quality, professional grade hard cases that keep your electronics safe when you travel. And you can check out their stuff at nanook.com, N-A-N-U-K.com. That's it for sponsors, so let's dig into this episode. Hope you enjoy. It's the TFC Audio Project. Hello, beautiful humans. Welcome to the show. Uh, today, Mike and I are going to talk about uh, it. We're going to talk about the pandemic, but we're also going to take a bit of a different approach. This is not going to be um, a show that talks about updating people. It's going to be more us sharing our experience of what's going on in our lives and how we've been affected by it, but also just talk about, um, we want to focus on the positives today, about things that we can learn from this, about um, ways of improving how we're coping, um, and just focus on what good can come from this big lesson. Because I think in every crisis lies an opportunity, and I think the opportunity is massive. And, you know, taking a realistic but optimistic approach that hopefully this will wake people up and uh, leave us with a different world on the other side of this. One that's better prepared to deal with something like this in future, but also one that leaves us um, more anti-fragile and resilient in terms of a lot of things, both our health, um, the economy, our health system, all this kind of stuff. So I think today um, we'll start by sharing our experience. Uh, we'll, we'll just ask some, some questions, like some big questions that we have, um, not that we're expecting an answer, but I think it's, you know, instead of just trying to say superficial facts, I think asking the deep questions are the important things. Um, I think a topic to talk about is harm reduction and what that even means. And, you know, we can share what's going on in Ontario right now um, and how we're trying to reduce harm, but how sometimes when politicians make decisions that should be made by the scientific community, it can lead to some problems. So what's up, Mike? How goes it? Not too bad. Um, <laughs> yeah, just from, it's been a weird, like two weeks, I guess this is week three that I, we're entering um, as a business, the physiotherapy clinic that I, that I own, um, that we've been not, uh, seeing people in person. And so it's been an interesting time. Um, and that sparked some other things like virtual therapy that have come out, um, mm -hmm. since then. But, uh, I think the biggest thing for my experience at first is just, and like everybody, it's almost like, Whoa, this is interesting. This is, this is happening. This is actually happening. And then, yeah. um, there's that initial anxiety and it's almost like, um, the, 
stages of like loss. Like there's like, I don't know the ex- actual stages, but you know how there's like grief and then there's the, this and that uh, there's denial, then there's grief and all of that. So I think people went through that because what it, we were losing is our normal day-to-day lives. We lost that. And now we, we're, we're trying to make sense of that. We're like, okay, we, we can't live the way we just were living like for the whole, our existence is now just different now. So um, right. I think that initially threw people into a loop of a kind of anxiety or um, uncertainty, which is kind of the same thing. Um, I, from my sense, I, I like personally, I'm uh, over that because it, it it's almost like it, and we'll talk about the mental health implications after, but once you realize after a few days of this, like, okay, it is what it is. I mean, it's like that out of, out of your control situation where you, you don't have much of a say, especially when the actual government steps in and says, Hey, you have to close your businesses. Right. We were closed before that. But, but now like once the government says you can't actually be running, then it's like, okay, like we can't actually be running. So it's like, what are you going to do? You can't be anxious over that. Yeah. And I just pulled up the seven stages of grief. So the first one is shock, which I think took a while for people to get to shock because I think um, it's funny. I, like I came back from Australia at the, uh, at the end of January and when I, when I was on the plane and I hadn't even like really known anything, this is when like people were talking, you had heard of coronavirus, but you're like, Oh, that that's something in China. It's some weird thing. It's like, you know, you, you kind of brush it off. And when I got on the plane from Australia, there was a lot of people wearing masks and I was like, in my brain, I was like, I was pretty naive. I didn't, I had no idea what was going on with coronavirus at that point. And I was like, wow, everyone's kind of like really freaking out and being like super careful these days wearing masks. You see people in China wearing masks because of the air quality, but I was like, hmm, that's weird. The person beside me was, was wearing, the person on either side of me was wearing a mask. I was like, hmm, this is weird. And then when I landed and I talked to Liv, who was still in, um, in Indonesia, she was like, yeah, people are wearing masks everywhere because of coronavirus. And I was like, oh shit. Okay. So this must be getting more serious. So it was just one of those things. And that was the end of January. And now here we are April 1st and we live in a different world now. Like this is legitimate. So shock, then denial, which I think a lot of people went through where they're like, Oh, this isn't that serious. Or they're like, it's not going to affect us. It's a, their problem. It's a China problem. Um, and then anger where people are frustrated and kind of like release all this bottled up emotion of being pissed off that their life is, you know, Oh my God, Amazon can't deliver to me tomorrow. This is terrible. Um, Mm -hmm. And then bargaining where we kind of try and find a way out or try and find a way for not to affect us, then depression and then acceptance. And I think now we're getting into acceptance where people have accepted. Well, ideally you are. I think everyone's at different like stages of that at different times, but ideally that's the goal is to like, accept the current situation and then like we can talk about the, maybe maybe the, some of the positives after of like what can you actually be doing to make make some strides forward during this time but uh yeah because yeah. i think acceptance also means finding solutions to make your life work within the context of the new reality so acceptance isn't just like oh okay this is shit boy was me blah 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 it's like okay how do i keep living my night my life in whatever that normal is now um, yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, for you, acceptance came through, okay, how do we expand our offering to be able to give virtual offer to give virtual consults to continue practicing and, and, you know, making, keeping people employed, basically being able to pay the rent, which is a mm-hmm. significant, like, that's a whole thing in and of itself. Like the way the government stepped in and said, you are not allowed to do anything, basically. Um, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, that's the whole other side of it is like the economic impacts are obviously substantial. And unfortunately, a lot of businesses won't be able to make it through this time, depending on how long it goes. And uh, yeah, then you've you've got the whole blowback of, uh, yeah, people, the mental health consequences in the in the long term as well, where where people have to like essentially start over or their whole um, you know, the business that they've been working on for five, 10, 15 years is now gone. So there's a, there's all that kind of stuff that people will need to deal with in the future as well. So it'll be different stages that we go through as well at different times. Yeah. I think the, just a financial anxiety for people that, um, you know, have gotten laid off because they can't, like my brother's an electrician, he had to be laid off because, you know, now the government actually won't let his boss, let him work. Um, and even yeah. beyond that, you know, people aren't really wanting, 
um, people to come into their homes at times like this. Yeah. So it really just kind of put a roadblock in everyone's life. Um, you know, we canceled a lot of our upcoming events. Um, it kind of made us really reevaluate at TFC the fact that we need to focus on our digital offerings, our digital content to be able to reach people remotely. And I think even just, you know, remote work is going to be, I don't think you can make the omelet back into the egg. When people are going home, working from their home or working remotely, when all this is done and they're allowed to go back to the office and work, I think we've, there will be a permanent shift in how many people look at remote work as something that's now possible because they had to make mm. it possible. And so I True. think that gives a big opportunity for people to have more control over their environment, right? It's both a blessing and actually a curse. It's a blessing because, well, you don't have to wear shoes anymore. You, don't, you can literally wear clothing that you can squat in. You can sit on the floor. You can engineer your environment, your work environment now, and you're not constrained to like the quote-unquote office desk cubicle culture where you have to look a certain way and you know sit in a chair at a desk. So that's cool, but I also think people are going to have to find new ways to build routine into and, and also separate work from, from life because... That's the other thing is like, now it never ends. My brother is a lot of it. It's, it's like, cool. You can work from home now, but it's like, damn, I want to get out. Like it, the, yeah. a lot of times the, the office is like the escape for people where they can actually get out of their home environment. Cause now, like you say, it never ends. And a lot of people who aren't used to working from home. It's just this weird situation where it's like, I'm getting actually re really frustrated with this because it seems like I can't leave. And then I eat in the same place that I'm working in. And it's like, I have yeah. to get over that. So I think maybe there's some sort of middle ground that we come to um, in future where it's like a hybrid model because I know some people like to just like for me, I like to just go places like for me, coffee shops, like I would go and do my work there. And, and it's just because it's just getting out of your environment sometimes that right. is really nice to do. Luckily, I have the clinic here that's that's um, basically just empty so I can come in and do my work here and it gives me a chance to get out of my house and do work, which is just for mental health reasons, very, very important. So, yeah. And I think it reinforces, like I've started to do this thing where, you know, even though I'm in like the office for TFC, I, I is the place where I live. So there's no, you have to essentially create um, a line where it's like, okay, mm -hmm. at 6 PM, I go for a walk and that is the end of the official workday. And you have to basically draw your own line in the sand and say, past this time, I'm no longer checking emails. I'm no longer available for calls. And you have to basically, you know, whereas the commute home is that line where it's like a ritual, you yeah. go home and you're no longer in work mode, right? Where, although I say that, but I think a lot of people with their phones with them all the time, that line is getting way more blurry with technology. But now more than ever, if you work remotely or work from home, you need to draw that line and you need to have some separation of space where you are in home mode, where you're devoting your attention to your family and not just keeping that little wizard in your pocket that can ding anytime someone wants to reach you because that's, that's important. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole group of people who are, who are able to work from home now and still do their thing. And then there's the whole group of people who have been laid off and can't actually work right now. Right. Um, so that's kind of a, they're both big groups of people, but um, that's a whole other set of circumstances where they need to um, basically figure out how to occupy their mind, occupy their day and, and create other things that they can start doing with their time just to avoid the mental health consequences that can potentially start popping up and to just kind of like literally just occupy your time throughout the day. Cause you, it's just day after day. And I've heard a lot of people say like, I need to, I need to figure out stuff to do. Right. I need, right. I need to actually think of stuff just to do with my body, with my mind. Um, yeah. To, to, to keep my, my sense basically. So, and, and it's crazy how people have literally lost, like having spared, having this massive overwhelming amount of spare time, and mm -hmm. people look at that and they get uncomfortable. They're like, I'm so bored. I don't know what to do. It's like, people, this is a beautiful wake-up call. You've just been given the chance to essentially focus on your own mental, physical health and reevaluate whether what you're doing with your life is actually what aligns with your purpose and makes you happy. Like, use this time wisely. It's not always going to come. And if you can't, you know, it's like, 
with the anxiety part, it, it anxiety is fear plus uncertainty. And the one variable you can deal with is uncertainty. One way to deal with that is by having routine. If you have a sense of certainty over your day, you know, this time I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this today. I have a routine of I go for a walk. I sit down and meditate. If you have a routine, you have a sense of certainty. And at a certain point, you, you change the things that you can and you happily accept the things that you cannot change. If you cannot work, there's no point in stressing about the money you're not going to make or, you know, you have to plan accordingly. Okay, maybe your lifestyle changes to align with this, you know, this obstacle that got put in front of you. But once you, you know, okay, now I have all this time. Now I'm going to figure out how I'm going to use this time wisely because investing in your health, mental and physical health is the best investment long term. It creates resilience to let you actually deal with whatever mental stressors or environmental stressors are coming. And so I think that being said, yeah, you have to, I think people have to, it takes time to develop these, um, these habits and routines. And I think also maybe it's also a weird thing in that, like you can say, Oh, you have a bunch of free time to do whatever you want with, but a lot of people need to get out of that are still kind of dealing with the person they were, um, in their day-to-day routine before. So it's like, for instance, you could be like, Hey, you can even start now there's two sides of the coin. Like you can be like, you can start writing a book, you can start doing a project, you can start. And it's like, cool, I actually could. And I think the key here is that maybe you do start doing something that you wouldn't even picture yourself doing before. You'd be like, I never thought in my life that I'd start writing a book, but maybe that's something you start doing um, just to kind of like do a self-experimentation thing where it's like, weird. I'm actually a book writer now. Um, and I do that every morning for like an hour and then maybe that be, spawns something or, or maybe right. I become, I change my identity to so, so it's a weird time where you can actually start to change your identity to like, I'm, I write a novel or I'm, I'm a fitness person now. Like I've, I'm really focusing my fitness or I'm a, I'm a cook. I'm a chef now. I'm really, I'm really interested. I'm going to dive deep into like cooking and that's going to consume two hours of every day because I'm going to make some amazing meals and, and, and I'm going to really, so these are the things that maybe you have to step outside of your normal ego identity and be like, what else can I maybe try on this moment in time? But that's kind of the challenge in and of itself too. It's like a lot of people are not, comfortable stepping into that or it feels really weird to start any of the down those roads but we need to right right i agree you need to find you need to find meaning and purpose so that it gives you an anchor to hold on to and just to weather the storm and i think that is that is so true like maybe i think a lot of people now might have just a little bit of space to think about what they actually like to do because one thing i always ask people is like what do you love to do and people just kind of have this blank look on their face. They're like, I, I think a lot of people have lost touch with what they love to do because they don't even think deeply about what makes them happy, let alone think that they can actually spend time doing something they love. And, uh-huh. you know, I think people... Or they feel guilty for that. Yeah, or they feel guilty. And, you know, you always start by doing something you love. And then maybe it, ma- it materializes into something you can make money doing. Um, but I think it has to start with like an intrinsic desire to just... I kind of want to try this. I want to try carving or I want to try writing a book, like you said, or whatever. Um, And, you know, reconnect, take some time to think about what actually makes you happy. I think that's something where it's like, just think you have some space to think, go on a walk, sit down with no phone near you. Even for like two minutes, you might have some epiphany realization where it's like, I think I want to try this. And then you just take action. And that can be this sense of anchoring purpose where it's like, Oh, I actually have something that I want to get out of bed every morning for instead of just being lost in this like weird space where I feel naked because everything that I clinged onto as like a normal life has now been just stripped away for this period of time. And uh, I think, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. Maybe, and maybe, maybe you can just, if nothing else, just you, you start to explore new hobbies that you may have never even thought of exploring or you maybe explore hobbies that you have wanted to always explore it, but have never had the time or a chance to, or maybe you start doing something and it turns into something that, like you say, you can use uh, and start making money off of in future as like a little side gig. Right. Or maybe you can do things for your, if you can't run your current business the way it was, maybe you can do things to, um, to really, work on the back end of your business or, or add different things that can make it more robust in future. So you're actually still working on your work, but maybe things you never even thought about before. So there's many other things that you, these are all things that you can be like, 
how can I structure this into the actual hours in my day so I can make each day something that's maybe uh, useful and able to explore some of these concepts. Um, and then day after day, you start to create that routine, which is going to be helping you out, pushing you towards good things in future, whether it's better health or a more robust business or um, just creating like hobbies that you actually enjoy. So time that you spend during um, that you're actually enjoy. I think that's the key is like, if you can have more hours than not where you're actually either immersed in something, enjoying something or not. And I think it's like negative thoughts and, and negative emotions and all of that need to be outweighed by positive thoughts, positive emotions, or being immersed in something that you're actually doing. So if the balance right. is like 50, over 50% in your day, at least like that's a good start. And then you can start to push swing that balance. And maybe you still have times a day where it's like you turn on the news for for a few minutes and you're going to go into a weird state right and it's like I, i'm not expecting people to be like completely non-anxious and because it'll hit you in different phases like you'll be um you'll be driving somewhere and you'll be like oh shit right and it hits you at different times but it's really that balance of time throughout each each and every day and then if you just repeat those days over time we're going to get to a point where you're going to we're going to find a, a solution right so yeah. yeah. And I think you brought up a really good point about just thinking patterns, like negative catastrophizing thinking patterns versus positive optimistic thinking patterns. And I think there's a difference between realistic optimism and fantasy optimism, right? Mm -hmm. Like basically if you run a business and you're like, Oh, everything's going to be fine. It's going to be perfect. And you just literally neglect all the finances. You miss paying your rent. You, you disconnect. Like that's not realistic optimism, right? Realistic optimism is, okay, this is happening. I need to find a way to find a positive in this. So I have to think of, of strategies I can take for my business or for my mental health. Um, and the thing about positive thinking is it's kind of like a muscle. Every single time you work it, the muscle gets stronger. It gets easier mm -hmm. to activate. And bumping yourself out of this, you know, I, I think you have to evaluate your thinking patterns in order to recognize negative thought patterns, right? And I think most yeah. people are just literally stuck in on autopilot and they don't even know they don't even acknowledge those thinking patterns let alone realize that they can actually change them so taking this radically positive approach where it's like okay everything bad that happens has something good on the other side of it it never feels like it when you're in the shit when you're in the storm but um but it always happens so just searching for those things which might be hard right now but the more you do it the easier it gets and that's extremely powerful because that aura of positive thinking is just as contagious as negative thinking. And you can be the person in your community, in your family that is like, guys, there's a lot of good shit. What are you doing to use your time now? How are you positively looking at this situation and trying to use this as an opportunity instead of an opportunity for something good instead of dwelling on, on the negatives? Exactly. It's one big like stress test on, on your, your life essentially. And, and right. stress tests are needed to see like, you know, if, if something like this happens, like, are we going to crack? Where are we going to crack? So if you can look at it like, okay, cool, we're being put through a stress test. Either my business is being put through a stress test. You personally, your mind is being put through a stress test. Um, but if you look at it like that, that's going to be, it's going to show you where you need to start patching things up and it's going to make you stronger as a, as a result. And the other thing is like using anxiety for, for like what it is. And, and if you look at like Sam Harris, will talk about this, like the, um, basically anxiety is just essentially like this little signal and a call for action. But once it's actually, once you actually start acting and dealing with what, what it's actually spawned you to do, then it's, it's use cases is rendered, uh, negligible, right? So, so you can actually get rid of the, the anxious feeling and emotion and all of that, um, and start doing the thing it's called you maybe to look into or to do. And then, right. then again, you don't need to be consumed with it. So it's like, uh, the, the biggest thing is like, yeah, maybe you just talked about like the finances, like, yeah, okay, what can I actually do over my finances right now? Let's try to really think about what I can do. And let's exhaust all of those things that I can potentially do. And then, you know, if you're, as long as you're, you know, that you are doing the things that you need to do, there's no point in being anxious because you're exhausting all these things that need to be done anyways. Um, right. So I think it's just like, just stick to that. It's like, well, here, I'm going to, I'm not going to act like I don't need to do anything and act like everything's fine. Cause then I can be neglecting that. And guess what? Anxiety is going to build if, if somewhere inside you knows that you should be doing something, but yeah. you're not 
anxiety is going to just keep bubbling up because it's like, and that's what always happens with any small task or any big task. It, it's like, if you have stuff that you know you need to do, you better start doing it. And, and that, that will help you just buffer this anxiety and give you a sense of peace knowing that, okay, cool. I, I'm doing the things I can control. I'm controlling the things I can't control. I'm putting those into that box. And then I can kind of find that peace and uh, peace of mind at least throughout this time. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think with the financial anxiety, sometimes people take the perspective where it's like, okay, I'm not going to be making as much money now. So how do I make more money? The problem with that is they don't look at the flip side of, okay, I have this constraint now where I don't have as much income coming in. Mm-hmm. They should, instead of looking at how do I get that back up, which can be stressful because there's not very many opportunities. You can't just like pull something out of a little bag and be like, oh, I got this brand new way to make money. It takes time. What people yeah. aren't thinking of is what shit am I spending money on that I don't need to be spending the money on right now, right? Like if people exactly. just like took a notepad and said, okay, let's list the most important things. Well, I need to pay my mortgage or my rent because I need shelter. I need X amount of dollars for food every month right? I need to pay my car, but maybe I don't need to go out to dinner. Actually, I can't go out to dinner right now anyway. Um, maybe yeah. I can't buy all these luxuries or maybe I have to get rid of some stuff that's costing me money or, you know, like people have to, I think it's a really good opportunity for people to shed away some of the stuff that they're spending money on that they don't need to be spending money on the wants, not the needs. And so, exactly. um, cause you know what, say you modify your lifestyle so that your overhead every month is lower. Well, guess what? When you go back to being able to earn that same level of income that you had before, that extra buffer where you're not spending as much money that you're earning, that's freedom. Maybe you can work a bit less or maybe you can have more time to yourself so that you can maybe keep pursuing the hobbies that you discovered during this time. So I think people, and I think the taking action part is so it's so huge. And it doesn't mean dealing with everything, but making strides towards understanding, okay, I'm feeling anxious about money. Well, I'm going to lay down everything in my brain on a piece of paper and start to problem solve, or maybe call, you know, my brother and, and see if he can help me problem solve and just like connect with someone to collaboratively work on this problem. And, and um, if you're working on it, you're doing something to buffer that anxiety. Cause you're right. Once you're actually dealing with what caused the anxiety and you're making strides towards progress in terms of troubleshooting that the anxiety no longer is there because you're actually taking action. Yeah. And it should, or it shouldn't be there at least. And I think, yeah, that's, that's uh, very true is like, it's, it shows you kind of like what's, what's necessary. And it it gives you a glimpse into like, maybe this is a good time where people can kick some really bad habits or uh, things like, you know, unnecessary spending of money or, or addictions they might have had to whether it be shopping um go, you know what whatever it is like i think it's an interesting time because it's giving you a sense of like oh this is how i can also live and then here's right. like another total example of of how existence can be and then maybe when things get back to to um quote unquote normal um you can kind of like kind of have a different perspective a massively different perspective on things and and, and that will allow you to kind of choose the path, ideally, hopefully choose the path that you would like to be on and not just fall back into these old habits and patterns that people have been um, just haphazardly following. So I think it's this perspective change that that is really key. And it also like from a, a mass perspective, it shows you like, oh, like the world can be fairly, the world where our existence in the world is very, can be very fragile right? Um, The world in in and of itself, like nature is very robust and anti-fragile because this is just all a part of nature, right? So this is just like nature doing its thing. And this has happened for long, long periods of time. Um, So we just happen to set up systems within the world that happen to be fairly fragile as this is showing us. So again, maybe it's going to, it's going to stress this, the, the whole world in terms of like, how can we live slightly differently? Are we going to, you know, supply, for instance, supply chains are starting to really break down and and like the way we're so set up uh, globalized is just kind of really starting to shed light on like, what, what happens if we can't get the supply from this country and that country that, that came into or making our product and then this breaks down and everything starts to kind of break down. 
So maybe it, it, you right. know, it just gives us perspective on that is like, how should we be living? And um, is there a middle ground where we can become more anti-fragile and robust as a, as a uh, part of this? Uh, so yeah, it's kind of personal and also global. So yeah, and my like my mom's a pharmacist, and one thing, one conversation that I've been having with her is she's like, most of our very important, necessary, not just like we want these drugs, but we need these drugs, or people will die or get seriously sick, are made abroad. And yeah. when when cross border supply chains shut down, and Canada doesn't have the capacity to manufacture these very important drugs, that is like a national security like big problem. And hopefully, you know, things like that. And even in terms of, you know, the parallel can be brought to the lifestyle. But the hope is that this, that this wake up call doesn't force us into like a lifestyle diet, right? Like we don't want to take this as an opportunity to be like, oh, I'm going to go on a bit of a diet because now I have to. And then I'm just going to go back to normal shit after. It's like, no, hopefully people take the mindset of this is not just a, a diet of changing the way we live. This is a reframing um, opportunity to learn a different way of living, right? Canada should learn that, okay, we need to manufacture these drugs moving forward. We should learn yeah. that, okay, I need to have a more resilient mind so that I can handle these buffers, right? I'm not just going to meditate every day while this is going on and go back to never meditating or never having a mental health focus after. It's like, keep, maintain the habits that you build now and maintain the fact that you get rid of some shitty habits afterwards so that your life is different after because you know the world is going to be a different place on the other side of this and i think on a personal level we decide whether we change the way we're living and who we are on the other side of this or if we just use this as a diet um and then go back to normal um because exactly. normal is unhealthy as shit normal is not the way is not sustainable and it's not healthy so let's take this as an opportunity to change things on a permanent basis and have a lifestyle change instead of a lifestyle diet. So, and that's so key. And like, I think the, for instance, a lot of people, like you say, maybe you're just getting into like meditation or some of these things now out of necessity because they're actually dealing with and facing Hopefully. the actual, uh, the actual stress test is, is like the actual, it, like we're in it right now. It's like the global pandemic, but the whole use behind all of this mental training in the first place is to prepare your mind for when you actually need it. And right. a lot of people are that that's where it's like the, the hindsight's 2020. It's like, well, why would you even do hard shit? Like, why would you go in cold water? Why would you do uh, like uh, heat exposure, cold exposure? Why are you doing these uncomfortable things? Well, here it is. Here's why we do it. <laughs> right. Like yeah. it's, it's because when you do these little bouts of hard things over time, um, there's a mindset that you need to get through it. And, and then you can, again, carry that over to when you actually need it in times like this. So a lot of people are kind of caught with their pants down from a mental health standpoint because they haven't prepared their minds for situations like this in many different ways. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And Peter Hotez made a great analogy. He's like, um, or it might've been Michael Osterholm. Anyway, someone did in regards to our preparation for a pandemic. He's like, when it comes to war, you don't wait until there's a war to start building an aircraft carrier because that takes like 10 years to do. You don't wait yeah. until there's a global, um, cranked up volume on the anxiety meter and a global mental health crisis in order to work on your mental health. You do it so that you're prepared for when that shit hits the fan. And we know there's going to be moments in everyone's lives um, and even global moments like this where shit's going to hit the fan. So you, you know, hopefully this stimulates people to begin kind of a focus on mental health to get through this, but also to build resilience moving forward so that the next time something happens in someone's individual life or something on a global level, because this will not be the last, I, I feel like this is the start of, of potentially significantly more of these events, right? Whether it's another pandemic or whether it's something significant environmentally, right? If, mm -hmm. if, Yellowstone wanted to blow up or if an asteroid hit a certain like these are real things that are, are probably there's a better chance of them happening than not just think about that the odds are that it's going to happen in our lifetime something like this will happen again potentially even at higher frequencies if we keep doing the silly shit that we're doing to the world so yeah I think people just mental health you and me talk about this all the time mental health is not something that you work on when you get depressed or anxious to the point where it's negatively affecting your existence, it's something that you have to have a daily practice to maintain and become anti-fragile so that you can deal with the stuff that comes to you. 
And hopefully yeah. this is a wake up call because that's not talked about, you know, like I don't think in the medical world it's being talked about in the, in the sense of mental health prevention, right. Of just having some sort of practice like doctors say, Oh, Hey, you need to exercise. You need to move more. That's great for physical health. But the mental health is the seriously bigger underlying epidemic. And yeah. we're not really giving people like tangible things. You know, and that's one thing we want to focus on at TFC is like, okay, how do you get people to remove the barriers to starting a mental health practice and actually like creating language around what does that even mean? Right? Yeah, how do we like, create do a culture a where health? how do we create yeah. a culture where people just work on their mental health every day? Like that's powerful. Yeah, like even like you just framing it as what's your mental health practice? Like if it became yeah. normal terminology, um, it's like, oh, yeah, I do things that here's my mental health, just like your exercise routine. Like what's your what do you do for your workouts? What do you do for your mental health practice? And and it's like, uh, I think that's going to be important because, you know, it's times like these where you, where you need it. But I think people, again, it comes back to if, we, if you shed a lot of stuff away, some tangible things that really what mental health comes down to is can you be um can you be more in the present is a big part of it so because like this fear and uncertainty of the future we term anxiety this loathing of and like this reminiscing in the past and and being uh traumatized by the past or even thinking about what the past was what we had it's basically not spending time in, with with us right now in the, in the present. So depression, anxiety, two ends of the spectrum. And what, what we need to do is like learn how to be, because in any given moment, like I'm fine right now, I'm actually fairly comfortable. Like I'm in a, in a fairly, like I'm in a safe environment right now. I'm hydrated. I, I ate a good meal this morning. Like if I just checked in with my, myself right now um, and I forgot about everything that's going on, I'd be like, I'm actually very comfortable. I'm going to get a workout in like after this, that's going to be awesome. Right. So, so my, right. after that, it's like, well, so what are these things? I'm just being like with myself in the present, the present, if you just take it day by day or even hour by hour, it's like, you can find that it's pretty damn good. Right. My day is yeah. going to be really good today. Right. So I'm going to have an amazing day and tomorrow I'm going to also have an amazing day. So if you just take that standpoint, um, that, that really goes a long way and, and it all comes down to being in the present and, and and I will have glimpses like a set of anxiety that that pop up and it might be something that pops up on my Instagram or that I watch on the news or even just a random thought that starts to come to me when I'm driving home today but then I'll realize and hopefully the half-life on that anxiety and that emotion gets cut cut down more and more so that it's again I, I catch it and I'm aware of it and then I can kind of just override it shut it down and get back to that presence and, and it's that repetitive cycle of doing that that again there's no easy way around it you need to catch yourself and then you got to put yourself back catch yourself put yourself back and you need to do that over time and you get better like that muscle analogy you used before yeah it's just reps like what are things so I mean, anxiety is not to say that no one you're not going to have anxiety would be would be silly, right? People that no, say that are probably it. just not acknowledging it. So you will have it. But like you said, the half life of that anxiety should only be the length of time that it serves you productively, which is a call to action. And once you start taking action and make a decision and follow through on that, um, then you can kind of realize that, well, this anxiety, you know, if I'm worrying about what I have to do next week on a financial standpoint, well, if I plan accordingly and work on kind of troubleshooting the strategy I'm going to take. Well, that anxiety doesn't need to be there anymore because I, I dealt with that problem as best as I knew how to deal with it right now. So what are and things, what are things an awareness that problem, that, right? Right, right, exactly. Because um, even though you might know that, then it, you might be glossed in it and then you, before catching yourself. So it comes down to that, like becoming aware, oh shit, I've been anxious for, I'm anxious right now. Oh, I've been anxious for the past five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes. <laughs> oh, the whole day has been anxious. So you might only come to um, come to life out of that and, and be, be like, catch yourself. It, it's a catching yourself problem and then redirecting yourself. And, that, and that's what we, we would call mindfulness, right? And that, that term gets used a lot, but that's just being mindful of like, oh, I was in anxiety and now I'm not. And next time I come into it, hopefully I can catch it quicker. Yeah. And sometimes it takes time to unpack you know, you might have this weird feeling like this anxious, this underlying anxious feeling. And I think most people, instead of actually like leaning into it and trying to dig through and unpack what is causing that, they are, you know, oh, I'm just going to go eat something sugary. That's going to make me feel better. Or I'm going to look on Instagram. It's going to make me feel better for five minutes. And by never dealing with it, 
that's the reason that it bottles up and continues. And we're, I'm just as guilty of doing that. And only in recognizing that behavior and recognizing that, oh, when I feel anxious about something, by not dealing with it and going on Instagram for 10 minutes and getting a slight bump of feeling better, I actually feel even shittier after because I haven't actually dealt with the problem. And recognizing that, I think is that's what people need help with. It's, it's recognizing what the strategy should be because just like a rep of dealing with anxiety and, and planning and troubleshooting and get rid of that can, can be reinforced, so can the pattern of going to Instagram, to going to food, to, and that can be anything. Alcohol, be like going drugs. to alcohol, going to Amazon, going like porn, whatever, like name, pick your poison. But I think we need to just acknowledge and examine our behaviors so that we can determine which ones are, are the ones that we need to change. Um, yeah. And people just, so anchors that you use, if you're finding yourself dwelling on something that you should have done or thinking of something you need to do and getting anxious, what are things that you use to bring you into the present moment? Like the strategies in terms of anchoring you to the right now, um, so that you can feel peace. So, yeah, if, if I have a, I think on the front end, you having kind of a generalized plan of your day. Um, is, is really good because sometimes I find that it sets in when you don't have necessarily a, a plan because, and you have this kind of downtime now. Um, so first of all, making that routine that we talked about is really important. Um, second of all, you can do little things like getting, just getting out for a walk. Ideally you can get out somewhere around nature uh, and that'll help kind of just find that, that peace um, calm the mind a little bit, but, but just any sort of, uh, thing like that. And then any sort of bout of like higher intensity work that you can get yourself to do, uh, like a, like a, a blast of a work, just something to just like jumble your system a little bit and, and get you to kind of reset is going to be big. Um, but a lot of times too, it's just that, just that is looking into it deeper as opposed to doing the opposite, which is going to something that will occupy your, your mind to, to ignore it. So it's like what I almost like to, it's a time for introspection when you feel anxiety. So it's yeah. a time to be like, what, what, what's going on? And then looking at like the pre-existing conditions of what's going on, like what may have caused that? Like, Oh, you know, I, I didn't get a, I didn't have a routine today or I didn't have a good sleep last night or, um, Oh, this always happens when I'm just sitting around for an hour and don't have anything to really do. Um, or this happens when I didn't get my exercise. And, and so I think it's just for me, it's a good time to practice introspection every time I get the signal, which is anxiety. Um, and then also do the things like getting out and going for a walk and all of that. Yeah, that's a good call. And actually, yeah, like just examining and digging and leaning into it and unpacking it is a powerful way to calm that anxiety. And then you know, like a walk, I think is super powerful. And I've started, Felix told me um, this thing to try of going on a walk and doing breath holds, like doing cadence breathing. So, so essentially tying your breath rate with your step rate. So that maybe like five for five steps, you'll breathe in for five steps, you'll hold your breath for five steps, you'll breathe out. And then you'll kind of do that a few times. And then you'll see how many steps can you hold your breath for. Um, yeah. And, and it literally doesn't let you think of anything else except for timing your breath with your steps or trying to keep your shit together while you're trying to hold your breath. <laughs> and it's like really powerful. Like a 20 minute walk can completely reset my brain, get rid of any anxiety, pull me into the present moment where I'm th And if you walk barefoot, you have to pay attention even more. So just, and for that might not be for everyone, but if you find your anchors, whether it's going for a walk or sitting down for 10 minutes and doing a guided meditation or anything, it could be balancing on a beam. It could be a high intensity workout. Like you said, like 10 minutes on a rowing machine or whatever it is. I think it could literally be sitting down, staring at a plant for 10 minutes, trying to just examine the thoughts that go through your brain. I think people just need to, you know, that kind of cue behavior and reward sequence. They have to just examine what cue at what trigger is causing this behavior, which might be something that they know isn't constructive. And how do I switch that behavior with something that is constructive? So how do I switch going to Instagram with going for a walk? And at the start, it's hard because those habits are deeply ingrained, probably things you've been doing for a long time without really realizing it. First time you do it, it's really hard. Second time you do it, it's not as hard. After you do it enough times, that is the behavior that you go to to give yourself relief instead of Instagram. And 
you know, this is a really good chance to just get reps in, to just be mindful of, okay, I know I should be going for a walk instead of on Instagram. You know, the past three times this happened, I went on Instagram, but I'm going to go for a walk this time. Oh shit, that feels yeah. really good. And it's realizing, exactly. wow, it feels really good to go for a walk and get some sunlight and get some fresh air. Um, it's the people, they need to prove it to themselves. Exactly. It's, it's the difference between being, if you break down the words reactive and then creative, um, it's the difference between being reactive and creative. Reactive is basically you're, you're re-enacting the things that you've normally done, right? So you're on autopilot. Hmm. Um, so that it might be mean like every time I'm anxious, I'm reenacting the fact that I go on my phone or do the things that I normally do. Creative is using that as oh, I'm anxious, let's do something and, and create a different scenario. So I can be creative in that moment and I can do something that I wouldn't normally identify with as um, or I w something that's different, right? Something's like, oh, I'm going to actually consciously create some different scenario now as opposed to react. Um, so I think that's a, a good way of looking at it because the more we can be creative um, with how we act and the less we can be reactive, um, the more we can break out of these cycles that, that continue to perpetuate and maybe just keep us in that anxious state. Yeah, that's a, that's a great analogy, reactive versus creative. And I think those heuristics are powerful because it gives people an easy access framework to kind of think of things. So mm -hmm. yeah, I really like that. Let's talk a little bit about the current situation in Ontario, like the because it's interesting. So from a news standpoint, I think there's a difference between obsessing about being informed with like looking at the news all day. I literally think people are getting addicted. Some people get addicted to trying to looking at the news. And the, the yeah. reality is that most people are not choosing the right sources of news to stay informed in a realistic and truthful way without it being sensationalistic or confusing because we're kind of, you know, the world is figuring this out as we go, right? Like governments are literally trying to put in place some sort of measure. And then a week later, it's a totally different scenario and they have to put a new measure in place. So this constant change and uncertainty can create anxiety in and of itself. But I think, you know, my routine is every two or three days, I do a couple hours of looking at people who I think are really smart, people like Peter Atia, um, or people, you know, people in the well-informed community that are good thinkers, that aren't just trying to put some shit out to get a bunch of views, that actually want to inform the public and share what they're learning. And what they're yeah. learning is, a, is basically a, an end result of a group of people learning together, and this person is just a voice, and, you know, in the case of Peter Atia. But, you know, Ontario, right now, we have this social distancing and social distancing really means distancing yourself physically, not necessarily socially, right? Cause you can call, yeah. you can do video calls. You can still have a lot of, and in fact, social connection is more important now than ever now that we have physical distancing in place. But one thing I want to bring up is the fact that sometimes governments make well-intentioned decisions, which end up causing more harm than good prime example of this that we talked about yesterday is why are parks getting shut down? This is the craziest. This is the silliest example of poor thinking that I've seen in a while. Why are we diverting? Like literally you went to Lustville Falls, which is a nature park. Um, and there were police there that were telling people you are not allowed to walk on this mountain. You are not allowed yeah. to explore nature. What the hell is that? What is the thinking behind that? And who is the Paul? Who is making? That's a prime example of a politician making decisions that have zero foundation in like rational, good thinking. That's crazy. So, and I think there's a difference between like, so if there's like, a, let's say, I think part of it is like, we've noticed that people are actually getting outside more in a, in a funny way because they kind of have to. Um, <laughs> yeah. The big thing I've is like, that. I, I could see that like, parks in the city or like essentially you don't want people like going and playing on play structures and touching everything and then other kids touching it and all of that so that's like one end of the spectrum of like okay we don't want big congregations of people at at parks all together so essentially we we want people to respect physical distancing is is kind of what they probably meant by that um however i think when you just paint it with a broad uh, brush stroke and say you cannot go into even nature now <laughs> yeah. that because there's the difference between like if I'm on a yeah if I'm on a nature trail and maybe I see a few people along the way it's just the same as me being on a on a sidewalk and I also see some people along the way and right. guess what I'm gonna, I'm gonna respect their physical distance on the sidewalk I'm also gonna respect their physical distance in nature if you, if we just get around the fact of like 
we need to respect physical distances. And I think the, it's one thing to have city parks and, and they, I think the rule now is like, you can like pass through them, but you can't uh, play on them, which, which I kind of, I, I get like, if you don't want people on structures yeah. and stuff like that, I get that. Too. Um, but we need to have as much open space that we can at least get ourselves out into nature. And, and again, obviously respect social and physical distancing in, in those areas. So it's kind of, it's, it's complicated, but unfortunately they, they made the rule of like, let's eliminate all, um, all nature basically um, in, right. in, the, in our area at least. And it's but so I'm sure crazy. you can find other, I know it, it's kind of annoying. Cause like, that's the one thing I was looking forward to. It's like, it's just so nice to go out and not see anybody or, or, or see very few people and just be in nature. Be like, no, you can't do that. So it's like, okay, that's, that's tough. But it right. is at this point. It, and again, things are evolving. We might even go into further um, quarantine measures and more harsh measures. But at this point, that's kind of where we're at. And, and it's, I heard Brett Weinstein talk about this, the same thing. He's like, they, they closed a lot of like state parks and stuff. And it's like, that's kind of silly because these are big, vast areas that people can actually use to get out of, um, you know, out of their houses basically and, and stuff like that. But right. yeah, close, it's, a, it's a, weird close a 50 hectare mountain, but you can go to the grocery store and walk near people. That's okay. There's no police people there. Right. And it's like a prime example of taking an enforcement perspective instead of um, an education based perspective. Like if yeah. you make sure that people are aware, you can put signs up, you can make sure that like all radio stations should be diverting the resources to making sure people know you need to physically distance yourself. This will help us prevent the spread and will allow us to get back to normal quicker. People should want to do things that they understand that are good for them and for the greater good. They should not have to be policed to do those things. That shows you that either you're not getting the right information out or you're not taking the right approach to actually get people to want to do things that they should be doing. And it's like, mm. you're going to police a park, but you're not policing, like you said, you're not policing every sidewalk. You're not policing every grocery store. Like we need to be rational with- Right now especially, at least. And especially at a time like this, like is putting police at a park a good use of very precious first responder resources. I don't think it is. So we just, and once again, these are well-intentioned measures that probably have some rationale underneath them, but it's really just, I think we just need to look at a bigger picture than just, oh, put the, like, put these little things in place where it's like, okay, big picture. Let's make sure we're doing things intelligently because even from the perspective of shutting all businesses down, like, I think harm, like the goal with this is harm reduction, right? The goal politically and scientifically should be harm reduction, which takes into account a lot of things, not just how many older people or immune compromised people die, right? Because it's not just like to save the lives of a few while harming the entire country in a significant way. Without, now, this you know, is, it gets it. It's interesting. It gets interesting because like if you look at the most recent podcast from Peter Atia, it's like the numbers of once they get reaches critical mass, like so what China did was like they went on these extreme draconian uh, measures to make sure people, there's people who didn't leave their house for like 12 to 15 weeks, like didn't even leave their house. That's um, insane. So, so they shut down like everything. Now our, our society doesn't work and cannot work like that. Um, even for the point of it, even beyond like the economic measures, like we need people to be delivering food, picking up garbage. We need people to um, be fixing elevators. Like there's a lot of things that need to go on uh, as well. So we can't totally shut down like, like they might've done. Um, at the same time, it, it's, we, again, it, it's all, we don't really, it's a data problem. So we don't have the data. So it, Again, things that we say now might be either really silly looking in two weeks from now or the opposite. Um, so it's really hard to say because it's like a data problem and a denominator problem with, with the, uh, the case fatality rate is something that it kind of seems to flip-flop all the time because we just don't have the testing measures and the, and the actual data. So everyone's kind of making these decisions over like very shitty data right now. And unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. it's the only data we have, but, but we don't have the data to actually be like, we're either um, underreacting because we can be underreacting right now, or we can be overreacting. We don't really know. We're we're um, we're doing what, and, and I think like every country has their own issues with this. 
Um, but it's, it's really hard to say. Uh, and like, I'll, sometimes I'll go into like an optimistic viewpoint after I hear things. And then sometimes it's more pessimistic with, with like, Oh, are we not doing enough to actually start to control this? So it is really weird. And I think we just need to kind of like roll with the punches and see if we can get more quality data over time. Right. And I just, you hope that there's more science people than politicians you know, in the driver's seat of making these decisions. I am by no means claiming I have the answers, but I think asking questions and questioning some of the decisions and yeah. trying to get to the truth of like, is this the best course of action? And like you said, like it's one of those things where you're never going to have perfect data to make a decision. And by not making a decision, you're actually making a decision in, in inadvertently to not do yeah. anything. So it it's is like, this thing... Plan? Yeah. And I just think as long as we're rapidly, like number one, making an effort to get that data, because that is the key to making good decisions. But number two, making sure that we're on a very consistent basis, reevaluating the decisions that were made and making sure the public knows like, listen, this is just the best we know how to do right now. It could change, but we need to all be in this together. It's about we, not me. And we just have to take that mindset. And then things will work out. I mean, the good thing is we've seen, we've been able to see strategies that have been taken in other places and the consequences of those strategies. So we have, I mean, in Canada, we have more data than for example, China had. Um, yeah. And so we just, yeah. And that's, that's the thing. It's a slippery slope when you try and look into things and try and think, Oh, we shouldn't be doing this and this. It's like, well, do you have all the data to actually make that conclusion? Um, but I still think that things like putting police officers at parks telling you you can't go in, like I can't think of any data that would be available to say that that's a good decision, you know? So we just got to, although it's easy to pick holes from the sidelines. So. Yeah. It's really up in the air, but, but I think another thing is just like, we will, what's the approach we take? Like, I think we need to be told of like, do we know what the approach we're taking is? I don't think we truly do know or else, but I don't know if, even if we did, if they would make that explicit to the average person via like the news, it's like, is the approach right now we're taking the, um, because the the most recent podcast with Peter Atia, he seems to think that we're going to unfortunately have to take a herd immunity approach inadvertently. Not that we're saying that, but, but it's, he seems to think to, in order to run it, this course that um, a certain high percentage of the population is going to have to get it, unfortunately, is what it's looking like. Um, Not that we're saying, hey, we need to do this, but that's just where it's going to end up because it's spreading um, anyways. So it's like, so if that's the case, then it's like, okay, how do we do that? And then it comes down to like that fine, can we thread the needle at some point? can we thread the needle where you're playing? There's the, there's that good article, the hammer and the dance. So it's like, can we, can we play the dance where we keep things going, but also figure out how to not let our hospital system and our medical system get like overrun and and not because that's going to cause a whole slew of like inadvertent deaths and stuff like that. So again, it's like, we really, it comes down to like not having our hospital systems just start crashing and that's what we don't want to happen. So it's like, how do we do that? Again, it's like, do we just stay inside? I don't know. Um, is that even working to the, to the extent that um, in China, they did some crazy measures and they seem to, it seemed to work, but we can't do that. So again, it's, I don't think anybody really knows, but hopefully they, they get this across to people as it starts to coming out. And I'm just attuned to these voices of reason uh, that are looking at all the data um, and just going from there. So yeah. yeah. I, I mean, the whole thing you said about clarity, like, I don't think people know what they should be doing right now in Canada, right? Like, that's part of the problem. Like, why don't you have a social media account that is the go-to source of information that everyone can get this drip feed of the best practices and the best guidelines and the new things that are getting enacted? Because these whole, these big, long, like, three-hour briefs by the government that say, like, all this bullshit with a couple little gems in there that you need to know. Well, not a lot of people are going to spend three hours watching these boring ass, monotonous, mostly irrelevant talks to get the information that they need to have. So, you know, I think utilizing something like social media, um, there is some good perspective. Is there that? Yeah. Like locally, you can find them like locally. And then from like a state or province wise thing, like just like kind of, 
reminders or like things that you want to focus on. So like Ottawa public health, for instance, is like, here's what you need to do. And it's like, oh, okay. obviously like stay inside, do your part, keep six feet away from people for now. We're doing, we happen to be in physical distancing, wash your hands. There's basically like, I think just summarizing the basics of like, if you didn't know, now, you know, like here's some things. Um, okay. But, but I think like, yeah, from a global perspective, like, and maybe they won't get this across, but I want to know what like the game plans are and how they currently, how they change. Um, and I don't know if they're going to like, I want to hear what they're discussing behind the scenes. That's what interests me. Yeah. Cause I like to know, like, and I like to know the stats and the numbers and like, what are, what's the game plan of all this? Like, how are we feasibly going to combat it? Because we're left in the dark um, right now. And maybe it's because we just don't know yet, but if we're left in the dark and being like, okay, for now, just, just keep doing that. And it's like, well, where, when does it end? What's the game plan out of this? Like, how are we going to do this? Um, is because we want, we need to know, like, if it is a, if unfortunately it is, that the the guy on Peter Atia's podcast was Michael Osterholm and he was the guy who was on Rogan's podcast and he seemed to be saying that and it's like okay well that changes the way we we think about things if that's going to be our approach um but anyways it's it's a whole you get into the weeds if you try to (laughs) to get too deep into that because no one knows and even the smartest people in the world don't know so it's like hmm it's weird talking about it. And again, it changes so rapidly that, that people who listen to this in like two weeks, they might be like, those people were crazy talking about this, right? Because <laughs> yeah. so that's where, where you kind of get into uh, a sticky situation too, because we can look yeah. like other, yeah, it, it's interesting that way. Well, Peter Hotez said it well. He's like, things like this have a really big tendency to make you look silly because of how quickly they change. Um, mm-hmm. But maybe let's wrap this up with things that we do know or things that we can say for, for certain, which is not really nothing about the actual situation itself, but potential lessons that can come about in a good direction from this situation, because it will end. We will come through on the other side of the storm and get back to quote unquote, our normal life where the, where things get back to how they were before this started. Now, obviously there's going to be a permanent change, but I think for the most part, day-to-day life will go back to more normalized situations. So I think you know, in every crisis, there's an opportunity. And the bigger the crisis, the bigger the opportunity. So I think one of the positive, like a couple of things that come to mind in terms of positive things that we can learn is we have a lot of systems that are fragile. Our healthcare system is fragile. Our economic system, the whole stock market is fragile as shit. If something like this can completely destroy our global economy, then maybe we have to rethink how we actually frame our global economy. Um, you know, to make it more anti-fragile, to have it be more adaptable. And I think if anything, the biggest message that I think can come across as a potential lesson from this is the value of your health, right? Mm -hmm. The value of your physical health. You know, we can take the physical side where it's like your immune system has to be good because if we're all going to get this at some point, then you need to be physically healthy enough so that your body can fight it. And on a mental health side, when things like this come about, you need to have a certain amount of mental resilience to be able to deal with these things without having a significant personal threat in terms of your mental health, whether that's depression or anxiety or whatever it is. Um, what lessons can you think of that come from this? Well, I think this, like we, we talked a lot about the mental health already, but the physical part of it is like your whole, your entire health needs to be on point. And this is where we see like things like this. It's like, well, who is it affecting? It's people who... Uh, who have pre-existing conditions and who who smoke and so it's like okay like preventable if, conditions if you a lot of it is like if you, if you have a bunch of preventable conditions right now you're you're more susceptible unfortunately um so i think it's taking it back to like the individual it's like if you can just get your own like you say your own immune system firing in all cylinders make sure you're really sleeping well and you have habits that, that, that make you nice and as, as anti-fragile and robust as you possibly can be eating well, moving, right. Just getting everything on point because this is a virus like any other virus um, in, in a sense that it, it is, it's a, it's a virus that our, our immune system will pick up. It happens to not have been introduced to humans before, but our, our bodies will pick this up and our immune systems will, will act to fight it off. Right. And that's what, how just biology works. So, so 
if you're in a better case, in a better situation to fight it off, that's great. And if, if, we, if we kind of multiplied that out, if every single person was in a slightly better condition to fight this off, again, that can relieve a little bit of the, uh, and it can take people out of these critical situations. Maybe that's enough to just tip the scales a little bit so that helps each and every one of us. So I think it's like another thing of just get your health on point. This is a good chance to maybe start making some of these adjustments and get your sleep on. Like I know a lot of people who are going the opposite route now and they're right. just eating like shit and they're, they're staying up till like two in the morning, three in the morning because they don't have a routine. And it's like, now's not the time to get into even shittier health habits. Now's the time <laughs> to get into better health habits so that you're right. a more adaptable, robust machine. If things like this happen, because your body has all the capabilities to fight things like this off if you're in good health. Right. So right. you want to talk about dealing with shit that you do have control over. You do have control over the stuff you put in your mouth. You do have control over what time you go to bed, what time you wake up, how much time you spend sleeping, how much movement you get in. And you know what? Like you said, if all of us being a little bit more healthy and sleeping better literally makes 10% less people that get this virus have to be on a ventilator. If, yeah. if we have 10%, like that's a buffer that we need right now. So every exactly. single person, your role as part of this global network of humans that are all on the same team to, to fight this shit and get, get out of it without while minimizing the damage is be healthy, be mentally healthy, be physically healthy so that you are not one of the ones that needs to be helped so that you are in a position to be someone that can help others. And exactly. That's because super if powerful. A, if a virus, like just here's a little um, thought experiment. If, if a virus hits me, a virus that's currently existed, like, like the flu virus or like a cold virus, and I happen to be in a state where I, I've been abusing my body, I've been not sleeping, I've been stressed, I've been anxious, I've been uh, maybe on a, on a drinking at like, a, if I went to like a party, um, it's going to hit me like, uh, you know, a ton of bricks, right? And the same, like I'm exposed to that virus either way. And if I flip that scenario and, I, and I'm really sleeping well, I'm in a good mental state, I'm in good health, I'm eating well, and I'm not stressed, and I'm managing all of that. And then the same exact virus that, this, that I touched the exa exact same place, the exact same time hits me, I'm going to fight it off in half the time, or I'm not even going to get it, right? So that's what I can look at from, from this is like, again, I don't want that to rub people the wrong way. But if you just put yourself in the best possible situation to, to, to just have your body do its thing and fight things off. Great. That's going to help everybody as well. Right. So your health is going to help the, the, the situation. So, so it's, it's really important that we just take things from that perspective as well. Yeah. That's how you be an activist. You just take care of yourself in order to take, to take care of the herd, right? Mm -hmm. Because every weak link in the herd costs the herd a lot of resources and energy. And I think one other thing I realized this morning on my walk is that I think it's, this is a very unique situation in that it is not one country battling something. It is like literally the world, all seven and a half billion of us humans are all collectively fighting the same quote unquote enemy. Right. And mm -hmm. I think this is almost like a dry run to collectively because right now we're problem solving as a world, right? We're not problem solving individually, right? We have to get information from Italy and from China and from the United States about what they're doing and how we can do things differently based on that. So this collective problem solving of coming together as, a, as literally a human community to fight something, I think this is a great dry run for some of the shit that we're going to have to do in future. You know, for example, climate change is not a country problem. It is a global problem and it's going to take global problem solving. So hopefully one of the positive things that comes from this is we've been forced to come together as a human community to fight something together. We are going to have significantly more of these things happen in future. So hopefully we can learn lessons now and reinforce this collective mindset of, you know, these little lines that we draw in pieces of land that we call borders are such silliness in the grand scheme of things. So hopefully this kind of de-emphasizes this national um, community and re-emphasizes the global community so that we can actually have better capacity and strategies to fight things together. So I think there's a lot of good shit that can come from this. You know, there, yes, I'm not, I'm not de-emphasizing the fact that this is going to cause a lot of people mental and physical anguish. Some people are going to die. This is not a, obviously it would be better if this didn't happen, but you know what? What if this was the smaller thing and the next really big thing, if that hit us without this small thing, we just would get wiped out. So it, it can be good if you think of it in the perspective that there will be benefits. 
you know, work on your health, find routine in your day, be the person that exudes positivity instead of the person that drags people down into negative thought patterns. And um, anyway, we hope this podcast gave you some information that was useful in your life. Keep healthy, keep positive, and uh, we'll catch you next week.